0: Good morning again. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 17. So if you could turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, We'll go ahead and read that in a moment. But before we do, let's pray together. Our Father, we... uh, We come to you and we do long for Christ to be in everything that we do, everything that we think, everything that we say. We long for Christ to be uh, not just in our every thought but in our every reaction, uh, Father, even when we don't have time to think, Father, our every action and motive. And uh, we pray that um, all that we do and think and say would be shaped by the cross So we come to you, Father, asking for you to be at work in our hearts, uh, to transform us, uh, to transform us into the image of your Son. And we pray that you would be at work uh, to that end by your Spirit now. We pray that as we read your word, as we hear your word, as we think about your word together, we pray that your Spirit would be at work, applying your word to our hearts, drawing us closer to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 17. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Well, there was fighting in the church. There were name calling and there were hurt feelings, tons of pride and jealousy, arguments over theology, arguments over ministry. It was so bad that you could say that the members of that church were biting and devouring one another. They were destroying the church, they were misusing their freedom in the gospel. And which of us, sadly, has not experienced something similar? Uh, Whether conflict in the church or conflict in our families, conflict with our friends, conflict in our communities, conflict in our workplaces. Well, to this people embroiled in conflict, Paul says, for you were called to freedom. Brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Paul says, you, you were called to freedom. Uh, this freedom is the, really the content of the first four chapters of the book of Galatians. We've been looking at it again and again uh, throughout the past few months. Uh, the, the freedom of the gospel is that while there's nothing you can do uh, to save yourself from God's ra- wrath, there's nothing you can do to, to make yourself righteous before Him, there's nothing you can do to make yourself right with the Father. Jesus has done what we could not do. He has freed us from the condemnation of the law. He's freed us from the guardianship of the law. So therefore, you are free, free from the penalty of the law, right? Free from the Mosaic law, free from any law that promises you position or pleasure, status or satisfaction. Uh, You don't have to work to, to make or to prove your value, uh, your value comes from Jesus and his work in the cross. Your worth comes from Jesus' work. That's not our main point today. It's something we've been talking about for weeks, but it's an important point. It's important background to what we're going to look at this morning. And, of course, if you don't get that, if that's confusing to you, right, come and talk to me and we can talk more about that. Notice uh, the rest of verse 13. Uh, there's a, a common response to freedom uh, if, well, if nothing that I do saves me, uh, but I'm saved through Jesus, well, that means that I can do anything I want. And uh, in a sense, Paul's answer is, yes, you can use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but don't do that. Uh, and then he, he gives this command, right? Rather, through love, serve one another. See, while we're not under the law as a way of making, us, uh, making ourselves right with Jesus right with our Father in heaven, uh, we are called to love, which fulfills the law. And you see the problem though in verse 15, uh, the Galatians are supposed to be loving one another, uh, but they are destroying one another. They are, uh, maybe it's over doctrine, maybe it's over ministry, uh, maybe it's over personality issues in the church, whatever it is, uh, they are biting and devouring, as is sadly so often true in the church of Jesus. Well, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 uh, through really 26, Paul begins to deal with this problem. Right? And he, he both describes our condition and he prescribes how we are to respond, how we are to deal with it. So there's both description and prescription. Uh, he answers the question, uh, the question is what's wrong? Right? What's the problem here? What's really wrong? But he also answers the question, what are we to do about it? And this week, we're really going to focus uh, more on the diagnosis, right? Or even just the first step of diagnosis. Uh, so there'll be more to come as we move through the text in, in the following week. So diagnosis this week, prescription in the weeks to come. Uh, this week, we're going to just look at what's, what's wrong. Right? What's wrong? What's the problem? And then in the future, we'll look more at what we're going to do about it, what we need to do about it. And so this sermon in some ways may seem incomplete, may seem sort of lopsided. Uh, that just means you have to come back next week and get part two. Right. So um, uh, this week, what's, what's wrong? And you can see our outline in the bulletin, uh, on the back of your bulletin, three points, uh, a battle within, a battle with the flesh, and a battle over desires. A battle within, a battle with the flesh, a battle over desires. Uh, so first we'll talk about this battle within. Uh, what's, what's our diagnosis when we think about our struggles? What would you say is wrong with the Galatian church? There were lots of problems, right? Uh, false teachers had snuck in. Uh, they were going directly against Paul's teaching. They were about to lead certain people astray. Of course, with the false teachers came division and disagreements. People take sides, right? Some go with the false teachers, some uh, stick with Paul. People start to fight and argue. We all know how fighting often goes. Uh, First, you have kind of a civil disagreement. Uh, You're polite about it. Then you start murmuring behind people's backs. Uh, The Bible calls that gossip, right? Uh, Eventually, there's name calling, maybe accusations of heresy, allegations that someone's going to to destroy the church. Uh, there's bitterness and anger, maybe even physical fighting, at some point. Um, it's sad, right? If you Google physical fighting in the church, you get all of these pictures, right? Not just not just articles, but like photographs and videos uh, of physical fighting in the church. One was like, fight, fist fight breaks out over Lord's Supper, right? Um, it's it's real, right? We we that's that's where we go. That's where we go often by nature. What's the problem? Is it the false teachers? Uh, If they hadn't come, the church would have stayed together. Is it the teaching itself? Is it the lies that they have been hearing? Uh, it, It was that which led certain people astray. It was that which brought division in the church. What do we tend to do when we experience conflict? What do we normally do? We point fingers, right? It's his fault. Uh, we, we play the blame game, right? That, that was Adam's position from the very beginning. God comes to Adam. He says, Adam, what have you done? Uh, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat from? And what was Adam's answer, right? You all know it. The woman you put here, she made me do it. Adam blames the woman and God in one short sentence. It's everybody's fault but mine. The woman you put here. Uh, we have this habit of locating the source of our problems outside of ourselves, Um, If I got upset with you and was a little short with you, well, it was because I was having a stressful day. Uh, If one kid makes fun of another kid on the playground, it was because all the other kids were making fun of him too. If you ask one little boy why he hit his brother, the answer is always something outside of himself. Well, he wouldn't let me play with that toy. He made a face at me. He hit me first. Not that I've ever heard any of those excuses in my home. (laughs) When we see a problem, right, the first thing we do is assign blame to someone else. Here's the second thing we do, right? Sometimes there's no place for us to hide, right? There's nobody down the ladder to blame. We've been caught and called out. Uh, you know, two spouses maybe, they get in a fight, they get in lots of fights. Eventually, finally, they go to counseling, right? They're tired of the yelling and the screaming and the name-calling, and, and what do they need? What, what do many people what will many counselors give them? Oftentimes, uh, they will receive certain communication skills. Right? You need to learn how to communicate better. And uh, pointers on how to talk nice right, to one another. And so you teach them how to talk nicely to one another. That may be helpful, but notice the diagnosis. They did something wrong, and they just need to change what they did. Right? They just need to change the way they're doing it. And the focus is, is on what is done and doing differently. Um, This is what we do when we have a problem. We try to blame someone else, and if we can't do that, we just focus on behavior and how we can do things differently next time. Well, uh, Paul has no time for this. First, and maybe the most important point this week, uh, look at verses 16 to 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. How does Paul diagnose the Galatians' condition? How does he diagnose our condition? He says, You're in a battle, right? There's a real battle going on, but it's not with the people around you, at least not primarily and it won't be solved by learning a few communication skills because the battle is not outside of you the battle is within we we are in a battle within a battle between the flesh and the spirit there are these two opposing forces in this battle the flesh and the spirit so we're in a battle within two opposing forces that moves us to our next point a battle with the flesh Verses uh, 13, 16, and 17 all mention uh, this thing called the flesh. In fact, Paul has actually mentioned it a number of times in Galatians already. Uh, earlier in chapter five, back in chapter two, I think was his first mention of the flesh. Maybe it was three. Um, he's mentioned it again and again, though. And the question is, what does it mean, <laughs> right? What, what is the flesh? And uh, flesh is one of those words with a pretty broad range of meanings, right? Uh, We were singing a hymn, I think, this morning, one of the hymns, and I talked about space, and I thought space is one of those words, too. Many words have a broad range of meanings, but the word space, right? We're in a space right now, this is space, but when we sung it this morning, we were talking about outer space, I think, right? It was space out there, right? Um, Flesh means different things. Flesh can mean your physical body. Uh, uh, particularly in contrast with with the non-physical. In in Luke 24, Jesus says, after the resurrection, he says, uh, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see, for a spirit, and he means there a ghost, right? For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have, right? So Jesus, in his resurrection body, no less, says he has flesh and bones, Right? Um, So flesh can mean the physical body. Flesh can mean really more human more generally in the scriptures, um, in John 1, 14, where it says the word was made flesh. It it means more than simply Jesus took on a body, uh, though it includes that, but it means he became a a human being, right? Jesus became a, a man. Uh, flesh sometimes refers to distinctions in the body, right? So uh, distinctions in the physical body itself. So uh, Jew versus Greek is a physical distinction. Um, in Romans eleven fourteen, Paul talks about my fellow Jews. And yet actually the phrase is literally, he uses the phrase my flesh. It doesn't say my fellow Jews, it says my flesh. That's the way he refers to his uh, ethnically similar people. Uh, so uh, the Jews are Paul's flesh in a way that the Gentiles are not. So flesh is kind of the, the realm in which we make these kinds of distinctions, uh, ethnic kinds of distinctions. But it's not just distinctions in the body, uh, but also distinctions in the world more generally. So 1 Corinthians one twenty six, Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, which again is literally according to the flesh, Not many of you were wise according to the flesh, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, and so rich versus poor, or smart versus dumb, or pretty versus plain, right, these are all distinctions in the flesh. They're they're not necessarily physical distinctions, though some are, but they're real distinctions in this world. Uh, they're, they're not distinction. the distinction, however, between the holy and the common, or between rebellious and obedient, or trusting in Jesus versus trusting in self. And so while they are distinctions, real distinctions, uh, they're not the kind of distinction that matters most to God. Um, they're distinctions within this life, distinctions, quote, in the flesh, distinctions that are not bad, right? They're, they're not bad, not better, not worse, um, depending on what we do with them. So the flesh has to do with the physical world, uh, but sometimes it has to do just with the human world more generally, uh, human distinctions within the human world. Um, The flesh also can be used, therefore, to talk about human, what is distinctly human versus the divine, right? So when Peter figures out Jesus' identity in the book of Matthew, Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, right? So flesh there is the human, versus the divine. Uh, In this sense, flesh often means human weakness. Human weakness versus divine power. So there's uh, that famous verse in Isaiah 40, a voice says cry and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God Will stand forever. So flesh, human weakness as opposed to God's power. Or even Matthew 26, 41, we could debate what spirit means in this passage, but Jesus says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So again, a contrast between the, the, the weakness of the flesh versus the power, maybe of the Holy Spirit, even in that passage. And why are we going through all of these different <laughs> distinctions in, in what the flesh means? I think in part because um, we either just gloss over it when we read it or we, we don't understand what that word means. Um, but what's interesting is up to this point, all of those things we've talked about, uh, the flesh, however you define it in any of those things, is not sinful up to this point. Right? None of those things we just talked about are sinful. Physicality is not sinful. Uh, distinctions in the world are not in and of themselves sinful, right? Distinctions aren't sinful. Um, being human versus being divine is not sinful, right? Intrinsically, it's not sinful to be human. Um, Adam, when he was created, was not sinful, right? Jesus was not sinful. Uh, even human weakness is not sinful. We may not like it, right? We don't like our weakness, but it's not, it's not sinful. It's not morally wrong to be weak, So where does sin come in, right? Where does sin come in? That's the question. Sin comes in uh, when we look to the flesh in any of those meanings rather than to God. When we focus on the flesh rather than on God. So, So the flesh stands for that which we rely on as opposed to God, or that which we trust in as opposed to God. Standards that we hold as opposed to God's standards. So, flesh has sinful connotations when we find our identity in our flesh instead of in God. When we find our delight in the flesh instead of in God. When we find our strength in the flesh instead of in God. Right? We, we judge everything and everyone by the standards of the flesh instead of God's standards. So, one writer said, "The flesh is Paul's term for everything outside, aside from God." in which one places his or her final trust. Right? It's when our world consists only of what we can see and touch and taste, and God is not in the picture. And so whether we're trying to be perfected by the flesh, a phrase Paul uses, or, or whether we're boasting in the flesh, or whether we're judging according to the flesh, right? flesh is the focus on the merely human, the merely created, apart from the divine. Our flesh is our our broken souls that have turned away from God and turned in on themselves. And here's what we see, what's right in front of us, and we can't see beyond that. And you can see maybe why why living according to the flesh might lead to biting and devouring, as Paul describes. Uh, If you find your identity in the things of this world instead of in God, uh, anything that threatens that shaky identity which sometimes may be as little as someone disagreeing with you, right? Anything that threatens that becomes an enemy. If you focus your delight on the things of this world, not that we can't enjoy the things of this world, but our ultimate delight needs to be in our Father, but when we focus on our delight in the things of this world instead of God, anything that hinders your enjoyment of this world becomes an enemy. If you find your strength in the flesh instead of God, Anyone stronger than you, or funnier than you, or prettier than you, or smarter than you, is a threat and becomes an enemy, right? It's very easy, once we begin to focus here, everything becomes a threat, everything becomes an enemy. In all of those things, right, we are judging by by the standards of this world because we're evaluating things merely from a human perspective rather than seeing life as God sees it. And so we're in a battle internally with this merely human force that has merely human standards and merely human power and wants to suck us into a world that is merely human, a world without transcendence, a world without the divine, a world without God, where everything is up to me and what I can do in my strength to make life happen. So there's a battle within, a battle with the flesh, a battle over desires, a battle over desires. Uh, Now, on the one hand, interestingly, the the word desire in chapter 5 or 16 is singular, actually. Uh, If we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desire of the flesh. You see that reflected in the King James Version or the New American Standard Bible. They both have it as singular. Um, Then verse 17, uh, the word desire is a verb, right? The flesh desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires. Against the flesh. And so there is this singular desire of the flesh against the Spirit, Paul says. Um, Because of our fallenness, right, our now natural inclination is against God and His Spirit. Uh, We don't want to submit, right? We don't want to follow. We don't want to humble ourselves. We don't want to depend uh, upon God. We don't want to delight in the Spirit. Our taste buds have grown used to bitter food. We don't like the sweetness of the Spirit. Right? Our eyes have grown used to the dark, and we cringe from the light of the Spirit. But the way that manifests itself, that singular desire against the Spirit, uh, it manifests itself in desires, plural, that oppose one another. So in Ephesians Chapter two, verse three, Paul talks about the desires (plural) or the passions of the flesh. James four one, we read about our passions (plural) that are at war within us. And so it's fair to say that, that the desire of the spirit, the z- desires of the spirit, are against the desires of the flesh. Right? These are opposed to one another. And the flesh then has certain desires that come out of it. Right? The the flesh is always self-serving because it's all about me and. Uh, my existence, right? I want peace and quiet at home, right? So I growl at my boys to keep it down or uh, I wanna get where I'm going really fast because I think I'm that important so I drive like a maniac, right? Ignoring everyone else on the road. Uh, If you hurt me, right, I desire to get even and so I I give you the cold shoulder, right? It's subtle but fleshly, Um, self-serving desires. Uh, The Holy Spirit though in us also has desires. Uh, that he is working into us, desires that he is working within. New desires, right? Desires that are not oriented around you, but around Christ. Desires to know Jesus, desires to please the Father, desires to love like Christ. So inside of you, there is this battle, a battle of opposing desires, right? The desires of our flesh and the desires of the spirit that he is working within. Okay, so it's important to realize this battle rages on the level of desires. The problem is not outside of us. It's not simply our behavior. It's not simply that we need new skills before we can deal with the battle going on between us and people around us. We have to see the battles with those around us come from a deeper war within. So James 4.1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions or desires are at war within you? The real war of the Christian life is fought here on the level of, what do you want? What is your heart's desire? Why do you do what you do? What are you hoping to get out of life? What are you afraid of? What are you longing for? The truth is that most of us are a mix, in fact, all of us are a mix of conflicting desires. Uh, there is a, th- this is a sign of the battle that is raging within us. Um, And and we know we have conflicting desires because oftentimes we we have a decision in front of us and we really don't know what to choose, right? And we we wrestle, what should I do here? Should I do this? Should I do that? And we have desires that that seem to be opposed to one another. Most of us are a mix of conflicting desires. Uh, There's this battle raging within us. Our old man, the Bible tells us, is dead. The flesh has been put to death, but it keeps convulsing. It's like a zombie, right? He keeps putting up a fight, even though he's already dead. Notice the result of this battle in verse 17. Uh, We're told it's to keep you from doing what you want. Verse 17 says, The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Uh, Paul in Romans chapter 7 says he wants to do good, but sin in him, his flesh, keeps him from doing what he wants to do. At the same time, the Spirit is in us, working in new desires, pushing back against the desires of the flesh to keep us from indulging our sinful nature. So you have the purpose of the flesh, which is against the Spirit, and the purpose of the Spirit, which is against the flesh. Uh, One writer says, does the man choose evil? Well, the Spirit opposes him. Does the man choose good? The flesh hinders him. And so it would seem from the, this verse that, that the battle is at best a stalemate. And sometimes that's the way it feels. <laughs> Two forces are opposed within you, right? Two desires, the desires of the flesh and the desire of the spirit and bang, right? They keep you from doing what you want. The flesh keeps you from the spirit's desires. The spirit keeps you from the flesh's desires. You know, uh, And so you want to get up and read your Bible in the morning, but you really want to stay in bed, Uh, You want to be kind to the person who just disagreed with you, but you really want to bite their head off for the way they did it. Conflicting desires, right? Battling it out. Now, uh, it's not a stalemate. It seems like it sometimes, and even from this verse it might seem like it, but it's not a stalemate. Why is it not a stalemate? Well, it's not a stalemate because of other promises we have in the scriptures, right? So Philippians chapter one, verse six, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus, right? God's not gonna leave this as a stalemate and just leave us stuck in the midst of this battle. No, God is working in us and he's gonna complete the work that he began in us. God is at work in you, Philippians 2, 13, God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's what God is doing. He's at work in you to make you willing. He's at work in you to enable you to work in a way that pleases Him. He's changing our desires, and we can count on Him to do that over time. For now, there's a battle. Where is the battle fought? It's fought at the level of our our desires. Uh, The word for desire here uh, in verse 16 and even 17 uh, is uh, sometimes... Uh, people talk about it as over desires. Right? It's not just the word for desire, but it's it's over desires. Um, not just desires like I'd like a piece of chocolate cake, uh, which is a desire that I happen to have frequently, uh, but ruling desires, overmastering desires. Right? Inordinate, out of control desires. Desires for th- things that you can't live without. Your life won't be the same if I don't have fill in the blank. Maybe that's a piece of chocolate cake. Sometimes, um, especially if there's only one left and there's two people in the room, right? Suddenly that desire becomes much more prominent. Um, desires for things that you can't say no to, right? What are those desires that you have that are just so strong? You're like, no, I can't, I can't say no to this. I must have this. Um, the problem, according to uh, Tim Keller, is, is not so much desires for bad things, but our over-desires for good things, when a good thing becomes our God, right? So it's not even desires for bad things, it's not necessarily desires for sinful things, though it may be, it might be desires for really good things. But when those desires have gotten out of control and gotten in control of our hearts. Uh, We all have certain ruling desires. Uh, they, They may be desires for bad things, they may be desires for good things gone out of control. Uh, there are certain desires ruling your heart. The question is, right, are they the desires of the flesh or is it the desires of the spirit? I realize all we've really done this morning is we've looked at Paul's diagnosis, right? There's a war within, a battle with the flesh, a battle over desire. And if you want to grow and, and handle conflict, though, th- that's the first step, right? You need to see where the source of the battle really is, where the source of the conflict really is. It's, it's in here. And so I, I want to give you a homework assignment. Uh, over the next few weeks, take an inventory, an inventory of your desires. Uh, not just the ones that are socially acceptable, right, but all of them. I just as you think of it, write them down. Take note from day to day, moment to moment. What do I want right now? Uh, especially when you're angry or sad or scared or sinning. Especially when conflict happens or when you're out of your comfort zone. I just keep asking the question, what do I really want right now? What desire has hold of my heart? What is controlling me? And then you can even ask, right, question two, once you've seen those desires, right, where is that desire coming from? Is it coming from a deeper desire to please and glorify God, a place of trust and faith, in which case it's a, it's a work of the Spirit, a desire of the Spirit? Or is this desire coming from your flesh, from a place of self-reliance and self-satisfaction, a place of judging by worldly standards? Now, some of us are not very good at noticing what's going on in our hearts. So asking the question, right, what do I want right now, is not, it's not always an easy one to answer. And, and where does that desire come from? I and mean, maybe that's even harder. Uh, so m- maybe you're not very good at that, but um, persevere, right? Pray about it. Ask God for, to reveal to you what's going on, what's underlying, uh, what, what desires are, are lying there in your heart. It'll be worth it as you wrestle through it. Uh, one time I was uh, picking up pizza for my family on the way home from work and... Um, I thought, I'll, I'll pick up some soda too, so I stopped at the grocery store before getting pizza, and uh, I began to get agitated. Okay, I began to get angry. Agitated is the nice word, right? Um, I began to get angry, and uh, angry that the store didn't have the soda I was looking for on sale. Everything else was on sale, but not that one. Uh, angry that the other cars were going so slow Uh, angry, at least a little annoyed at the other people in the pizza shop for existing when I was in a hurry, right? Don't they know I need to get through here, like, really fast? And so I started asking myself, why am I so angry right now? And, uh, you know, there's always pride, right? That's the obvious one, right? Wanting the world to go my way. Uh, But it seemed to be something more than that, so I just kept thinking about it, like, why am I so upset right now? And as I looked, I, I realized... Uh, that I was worried, I was worried, um, I was worried that Deborah would be upset that I was taking so long to get home. And uh, we we were in a hurry that night, we actually had uh, uh, a function to go to uh, after dinner, so we sort of needed to get home, needed to eat, and uh, we didn't really need soda, so I made this extra stop, which made it even longer to get home, and uh, I wanted to make Deborah happy, Uh, and uh, that seems like a good thing, but where was that desire coming from? Uh, it wasn't coming from a place of faith. I wasn't trusting Jesus for life and happiness. I was trusting that if I do everything right, I'll have a good marriage, right? If I do everything right, my marriage will go well, my wife will be happy with me. And uh, you know, a desire to please your spouse, that, that's good, but an, an over-desire is a desire of the flesh. A, a desire to please your spouse when God's not in the picture when you are your own savior and you, you, you must go out and secure your own blessedness. Right? I need to do everything right in order to make my life what it needs to be, is what I was feeling at the moment. And you can see how that over-desire can actually sabotage that relationship with your spouse, right? Because if I come home all angry and defensive, thinking that she's gonna be upset with me and making excuses the moment I walk in the door, right? it's a lot likelier that that your attitude when you get home is what is going to put your wife on the defensive and make her upset with you, right? One of the real problems with over-desires is they're coming from trying to be our own saviors, trying to find life apart from Jesus. If I was resting in Jesus' love for me in that moment, I wouldn't be trying to find life in Deborah's love for me. Of course, I would want it, but it wouldn't control me, right? Jesus' love would control me. And his love, of course, is secure in the gospel. And so if I can love, so if I'm, if I'm resting in the love of Jesus, I can love the people in the pizza store, even if I'm going to get home late, because Jesus is not gonna stop loving me if I get home late. Neither would Deborah, by the way, but um, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, uh, and, and then I could come home, right, loving Deborah without being defensive, because I'm trusting Jesus and not my ability to keep everybody happy. See, when we try to find life in the world, we're driven to get it. Normally, we end up frantic or fearful, depressed or disappointed, angry or unsatisfied, because only Jesus can give us the life that we long for. This is why only Jesus' love and the gospel can free us from the desires of the flesh. Only when we find life outside of this world can we not be consumed with overmastering desires for the things within this world. And as you think about your desires over the next few weeks, it's important that you realize on one level, right, you can't change your desires. But Jesus can. So pursue him, right? Run to him. Trust in him because he alone can satisfy your soul and he alone can change the desires of your heart. Let's pray. Our Father, we, uh, we, we, we run to you right now. Um, We do have so many desires waging war within us and sometimes desires for good things by by the grace of your Holy Spirit. Sometimes we want what is right and yet the flesh is right there uh, with us and often we desire what is wrong. And we pray, Father, that you would give us strength to see those desires first and foremost, to see them so that we can repent of them, so that we can run to you, so that we can trust in you, so that you can begin to transform us by your grace. Help us to be patient in that process, Father, as we look to you and rest in, rest in the cross. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.